different collections of this entire collection and this opens um, this particular book and I think it is an important one to consider for us today, particularly in the world that we will live in today, as we consider particularly who the blessed man is. So let's read it and then we will get into the word for our day. So Psalms chapter one, and I'll read from verse one. It reads as follows. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the reading of God's word. Let's just quickly pray. Lord, we thank you for this time you've given unto us that we might consider your word. We pray that as we do read your word and learn from it, that you would change our hearts, that you would save us, you would increase our faith, faith and you'll edify us in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So this psalm from verse 1 opens up with the words, blessed is the man. In other versions of scripture, uh, if you look at it, for instance, the Holman version, or even the New American Standard Bible, but the 2022 version, it'll open up by saying, how blessed is the man? Because the word here used for blessed is actually uh, used in the plural sense, right? It's, it, it, it creates this picture of many blessings flooding or overflowing a particular man. It should be read as, oh, how the abundant overflowing blessings, or how the manifold blessedness of the man. So I want you to see this as possible, as much as possible to be the most, the greatest exaggeration of blessing that the Bible is talking about here. As the writer of the psalm is speaking, he's trying to emphasize the true degree to which this man that we are about to speak about is blessed, right? He's, he's saying how immense and abundant are the blessings that this man has. But the question before we move any further to ask ourselves is, what do we mean by blessing, right? And in our generation, who do we consider to be the, a blessed man? If you were to create a picture in your mind or have an example in your heart of who you consider to be blessed, who would you think about? Or what would be the characteristics of the person that you would think about as blessed? Now, depending on where you grew up and what your beliefs are, maybe you think that a person who's blessed by God is one who is epitomized by having a lot of wealth, having a lot of worldly pleasures, a lot of worldly possessions, right? A lot of money, all the cars in the world, all of this. Or however, if you are sort of new age and a little bit more in the Gen Z, maybe the way you think about blessed is someone who's healthy, right? I mean, there's a new term that goes, health is the new wealth. Right? Maybe in your mind, a person who is blessed is somebody who has all the health in the world who's going to live up to 140. Right? Someone who is going to basically outlive all of us, has a cholesterol of zero. I don't know if that's healthy or not, but maybe it is. But somebody who epitomizes health, right? who eats zucchini and broccoli, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And maybe for us, this is the epitome of blessedness. But we should really think about this right? as believers and as Christians. What is the picture of blessedness in our hearts? 
Because this picture of blessedness is what we are pursuing, right? Each and every one of us is pursuing a particular picture of what it means to be blessed. And if that picture does not align with what God says, then ultimately we would find ourselves pursuing things that are potentially ungodly. So what is the definition of blessedness in accordance to the scriptures? Now, in order for time, we won't go too deep into it, but I think a portion of scripture that lays this out well is in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul, when he reflects on his previous life as a Pharisee, and you know who Paul was, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Jew among Jews, an Israelite amongst Israel, and born of the, of, of, of the great tribes of, 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 of the children of Israel. But when he looks back, at his life as a, gen, I mean, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a Pharisee, what does he say? He says, I consider all things to be lost. For what? For the surpassing value or worth of what? Of knowing Christ. To Paul, the greatest blessing that he had experienced in his life was not the influence that he had as a Pharisee and the potential wealth that came with it, was not the self-righteousness that came with it, but all that he saw as valuable in his life was simply one thing, to know Christ. And when he continues in that chapter, he says, and to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that is through faith, a righteousness that is a gift from God. To Paul, the, 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 the definition of blessedness was simply in knowing and found in knowing God was found in simply knowing Jesus Christ. He says that everything in his life was to be counted as worthless compared to what? To simply knowing Jesus. And this is the similar sentiment that John echoes or the Christ echoes in John chapter 17, verse 3, when he opens up his prayer for his disciples, where he says, and this is eternal life. What is eternal life? To know God to know the one true God and the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to, to him, this is the, when we say that we have everlasting life, it is not simply eternal existence, but it is living in a state where we know God and we have full communion with him. And according to the Bible and, and, and the several scriptures that we can even go to, even going back to the book of Genesis chapter 1 in the garden and thinking about what was the blessed state of Abraham that he lost, we can sort of see that across all these scriptures, the definition of the man who is blessed is not one who has all the wealth, is not one who has all the health, is not one who's going to live long, but it's simply the one who knows God, who has the privilege of having communion and fellowship with the one true God. So now the writer goes to explain who this blessed man is, or rather he describes the characteristics of this blessed man, that if we are to endeavor to be this blessed man, how ought we to walk in this life? So he continues that blessed is the man who does what? Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. So the writer here gives a picture, a sort of negative and positive picture. He tells us what he's not, and then he tells us more affirmatively what he is. And in telling us what he not, he's not, he gives us three examples of who this man is not, or what this man does not do. The first thing he speaks of is that this man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
This man does not walk in according to the advice of the world that he lives in. This man does not walk according to the knowledge, the wisdom, or that which is falsely called wisdom by this world. He does not take advice or take the way that he walks from the way that he sees the people in his life. The, his life is not epitomized by what is happening around him. Even if the world goes left and advises everyone to take this way of living, to take this way of thought, to take this way of doing things, this man stands as the odd man out. He does not walk in accordance to the counsel or the advice of the wicked. And we live in a world that counsels us and advises us to do so many things. We live in a world that gives us advice and tells us about how things should be done and how things ought not to be done. But the Bible here clearly separates and states that the man who is blessed and who will enjoy communion and fellowship with God is one who does not walk in accordance to the advice of the wicked. The way he lives his life is not based on what the wicked say. The second description he gives is that he does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, the word stand here um, is not simply one who is idly standing, but would be better translated in some versions as the one who is not established in this way. It's speaking of one who is established, well planted in a particular way of living. So he says, first of all, he doesn't live in accordance to the advice of those who are wicked, and even more, he is not well planted or established in their way. He is not one who is uh, well planted and established in the way of those who are sinners. If sinners have a way of life, his life will be different. If sinners have particular behaviors and attitudes that they are well established in and that they move towards, his life will be different. And then thirdly, he says that he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers are defined as those who mock right, who mock the way of righteousness. So you can see that there's a bit of a, of, a, of a progression here, that he goes from one who just takes advice from the wicked to one who is established in the way of the wicked to one who now not only is established but now mocks the way of righteousness, who looks down upon the way of those who walk righteously. And he says that the blessed man is none of these. His way of life is not in accordance to those who are wicked. He does not take advice from them. He is not well established in their, in their behaviors and in their habits. And he does not look down upon all the paths of righteousness that are set before him. Then in verse 2 it says, But his delight is in the law of God. And on his law he meditates day and night. So in the first part, we see that this man is not one who is, he's is one who does not have a relationship with wickedness, right? In, in the negative, he states that this man is separated from the way of wickedness and he's separated from anything that is wicked. But now in the positive, this is a man who delights in the law of God. This is a man who delights and who's whose joy is found in reading, meditating, and listening to the word of God. His joy is found in going into the word of God and gleaning from it everything that needs to be gleaned. It is like what it's, it says in, in Psalms chapter 19 when it speaks about the, the word of God and it speaks about how the word of God is perfect and it rejoices the soul, it delights the heart, it is a way of righteousness and it is a light unto our paths. This man sees the word of God not just as some advice that is given, not just as a bunch of stories that sound interesting, but he delights in it and he finds in it true life and true restoration. But why does he delight in the word of God? Because in the word of God, God is revealed. In the word of God, the true character, beauty, holiness, honor, glory of God is revealed. And because his one ambition in life is to know God, anything that draws him closer to God, anything that opens his eyes to God, he delights in. And this is what he says. He says he's not acquainted with wickedness. 
And in the positive sense, he is pursuing the word of God with all his heart. He's pursuing God even through his word with all his heart. So this man is one who is not acquainted with sinfulness and acquainted with wickedness, but in the positive is one whose main pursuit is to know God, and he does, throw, he does so through meditating on his law, through delighting in his word. His word is not a burden that he, he sees and wants to run away from. His word is not a burden that he sees as something that is trying to take away joy from the pleasures of sin, but he sees it as a true light that gives the path to his true reward, which is the Lord himself. Then from verse 3, it speaks of a man, what the end of this man is, or what the life of this man will be characterized by. And it says he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in all he does, he prospers. So this man who is blessed, this man who has no acquaintance with wickedness, who you will not find any wickedness in and who rejoices in the law of God and who rejoices in the pursuit of God, the Bible here says that he will be like a tree that is planted by streams of water. Planted by streams of water shows us a picture of a man who is planted near every resource that he will need in order to produce fruit. He is planted near the streams of water because from these waters, he is able to receive the grace, he is able to receive the mercy, he is able to receive the strength and all that he needs in order to be fruitful. And you also need to see that the Bible here says that he is planted, meaning this is something that happens to him. It is it's as if God is, is saying that he is the one who plants this man. It is not a position that he grew up in. It is not a position that he put himself in, but it is a position where he is placed, that he is like a tree that is planted near the streams of water so that from these waters he can receive and drink and, have and, and receive all that he needs in order to yield the fruits of righteousness. And indeed, the scripture tells us that he does yield the fruit in its season. Then in the right seasons, when the right fruit is needed, he produces the fruit. And in all that he does, he prospers. Now, this is obviously not a sort of blank check to say that everything that he does in terms of whatever business he does or, or, or some sort of health, wealth, or prosperity thing. But when he says that everything he does prospers, it is speaking again to, it, it is expanding on the fruitfulness of his man to say that in every area, in every asset and facet of his life, he is able to be fruitful. As a husband, he's able to be fruitful. As a wife, he's able to be fruitful. As a child, as a, as a member of the church, he's able to be fruitful in all the areas and facets in which he is. He serves in all the areas and facets in which he, 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 he provides work, he's able to prosper. As a husband, he leads his family well. As a church member, he's able to serve the church body and faithfully submit to the elders. As a, 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 a brother, he's able to exhort his brethren and encourage them in the way that he's supposed to go. So he's able to produce the right fruit in every season. Where love is needed, he's able to produce love. Where patience is needed, he's able to be patient. Where forgiveness is needed, he's able to produce the forgiveness. When long-suffering is needed, he's able to produce the long-suffering that is needed in that moment, this man prospers in all that he does because he's planted by the streams of living water from which he receives all that he needs. This is something that is actually quite amazing if you think about it. To think of a person that if you put him in any situation, he will have the right reaction. 
in a situation where everything is supposed to anger him, he'll be calm. In a situation where he's supposed to be filled with hatred, he'll show love. In a situation where he's supposed to grow impatient, he will be patient. In every single area and time of his life, he produces the right fruit that is needed in that time. And then from verse 4, we begin to see a little bit of a contrast of the wicked. In verse 4, he says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind blows away. The wicked are not so. The wicked do not produce the fruit that is, that is needed. The wicked do not produce the usefulness that is needed unto the Lord, but are like the chaff that will be blown away. Chaff is, is something that is, is, is seen as useless without nutrition. You know, when, you are, uh, when, when it's time for, 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 for reaping, particularly corn and, and, and wheat, a lot of the wheat, once it is reaped, has this chaff that is obviously of no use and it needs to be separated so that it can be sold in the right bundles. So what the farmers would do at the time is that they'll find on their land a little bit of a hill that they can go to. And then what they will do is that they'll throw all the wheat into the air a little bit and then the, the wind will blow all the chaff away because it has no substance. And then the wheat will fall to the ground. And then they will repeat this several times until all the chaff is blown out. And this is the picture that the Lord is giving about the wicked, that the wicked will be blown away. They will be removed from among the, the righteous. They will be removed from among those who the Lord has considered to be blessed. They will be removed and not seen as useful because they do not produce the fruit that is needed. And in verse 5, it drives deeper into what is said in verse 4, where he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Here he, he, he speaks of the separation of the wheat and the chaff, and he, play, he brings it within the context of final judgment, where he says that these wicked people who are like chaff will not stand in the final judgment. When the Lord comes and it is time for everybody to stand before God to give an account of everything that they have done in the body, the wicked will not be able to stand. The wicked will have no foundation upon which to stand. They will have no hope upon which to stand. But the only thing that will be left for them is sure and certain judgment. You know, on Friday, um, I was, I really shouldn't have done this, but I was busy in the kitchen. I was trying to make dinner. My wife was tired, so I tried to make dinner for myself. And while I was cooking, um, I put some meat in the pot and some, some hot oil came, you know, burned my fingers. I learned two things from there. Number one, men shouldn't cook, and I really believe this, men should not cook. But the second thing that I learned is that oil is hot. And the reason why this is important is if, if I could not stand the heat of oil, how will I stand the heat of hell? It took me two minutes to jump up to look for something like ice or water because I physically could not stand the pain of oil. What makes me think I will stand the pain of hell, where the fire is hotter than anything that we have ever seen, where it is not a momentary affliction, but something that lasts for eternity. How do we think we will stand it? And this is the picture that is drawn about the wicked, that they will not stand in the day of judgment. When the Lord separates the goat from the sheep, when the Lord separates the wheat from the tares, when the Lord separates the wheat from the chaff, the wicked will be put in the everlasting, unquenchable fire. And like them, they should, and, and, and if, 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 if they were to hear this, and if they was to come to mind for them, they should look for some hope of salvation because that fire is hot and it is unbearable. 
And then in verse 6, he says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So he ends in saying, and in, in this contrast, he ends in saying, how, in the way that the wicked will not survive, in the way that the wicked will not stand, in the way that the wicked will not stand the last judgment and will be separated from the righteous. However, the righteous, the Lord knows the way in which they walk. But the wicked's way will lead to everlasting destruction. Now, what does it mean when it says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous? I mean, the Lord knows the way of everyone, right? He knows all things. But what he's speaking about here is that the Lord is intimately related to the way of the righteous. That the Lord is intimately caring for the way of the righteous. Other versions of scripture will translate it as the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. That every step that they take is ordered and ordained by him. That every path that they walk is ordered and ordained by him. Why? So that at the end he can make sure that as they walk this path it leads them unto everlasting life with him. So he watches over them. If, as much as the wicked are left to a way of destruction in their own sin, as we know in Romans 1, as their hearts are hardened and they are left to their own passions and they are left to their own lusts and they are left to follow after all these things that are unrighteous and ungodly, not so is the righteous because the Lord watches over their path so that every step that they take is ordained by him and that the Lord makes sure that the path with which and on which they walk leads them to everlasting life and not to destruction. And that is the promise that the Lord promises to the righteous, that he watches over the path they walk so that it leads them to him. So that it ultimately leads them to that true blessedness of fellowship, communion with him, that the wicked will forever be separated from. Now in conclusion, I just want us to draw us to a couple of observations. Number one, I want us to see that in this portion of scripture, there are only two categories. There is the blessed man and there are the wicked. There are only two ways in which the, this, this, the writer of the psalm separates the entire human race, the blessed man and the wicked. That there is no spectrum, there is no room for trying, there is no points that are awarded to somebody who is somewhere in the middle and trying to figure it out. There are only two categories, the blessed man and the wicked one. Christianity allows no points for being in the middle. And in Christianity, there is no being in the middle. It's either you are for him or you are against him. So if we were to do this exercise based on the characteristics that we spoke about now, right? Not walking in the counsel of the wicked, not standing in the, in the way of sinners, not sitting in the seat of scoffers and delighting in the word of God. If these are the characteristics of the blessed man and we were to separate every single person who, every single person who has ever lived into these two categories to have the blessed men and the wicked, how would we do this separation? Who would be blessed and who would be wicked? Well, based on this and the entire counsel of Scripture, what we begin to see is that there is only one blessed man. There is only one blessed man. There is only one who has lived in accordance to this entire portion of Scripture. There is only one man who has never walked in the counsel of the wicked. There is only one man who has never stood in the way of sinners. There is only one man who has ever not seat, had, had a seat in the seat of scoffers. There is only one man whose entire delight was in the word of God, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. And the rest of us are in this other category of the wicked. Because if we are to be honest with ourselves, there are many times in which we have walked in the counsel of the wicked. 
There are many times where we have forsaken that which God has told us to do in pursuit of earthly pleasures and earthly things and forsook the counsel of God for the counsel of men. There are many ways in which we have been established in sinful habits and sinful behaviors. There are many ways sometimes in which we have looked down on that which is called righteous, what we have called good, sinful, and sinful good. So the whole human race can be lumped up and put into this one category of being wicked. And the whole human race can be put under this one category of being wicked with all the curses that wickedness has. And there is only one man who can stand before God on the basis of this criteria and say that I deserve the blessing. And that is the man Jesus Christ. But thankfully for him, that the story doesn't end there. That Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 tells us that Christ became a curse so that we can be redeemed from the curse of the law. So that we, because of him, can be clothed with the blessedness that he has achieved on our behalf. So that we can have a blessedness that is foreign to us. A foreign kind of blessedness, a foreign kind of righteousness that is not based on us meeting this criteria, but is based on us putting our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that we can be transferred from being called the wicked to being called the blessed, not because of any of our obedience, but being clothed by his righteousness, being clothed by his blessedness, being clothed by his holiness. And that is our only hope. Our hope is not that we can meet this on our own. Even if we were to try to do this on our own, we will fail because we have already failed in the past. And our only hope is that Christ clothes us with his blessedness, that he became sin so that we could be called the righteousness of God is truly our only hope. So who is the blessed man? None other than Christ Jesus and we through him. And that is important to note that we are blessed not because we meet this criteria, but we are blessed through him. That it is his work and what he has achieved in his active and passive obedience in his life and on the cross that affords us the ability to stand before God as blessed, having that confidence to be called his sons and his daughters because of the work that he has done so that he can truly be the firstborn amongst many brethren. He is the preeminent blessed man and we follow after him by his grace and only by his grace. But that is not the only blessing that he affords us. The second blessing that he showers upon us is the fact that although we in ourselves do not have the ability to be this blessed man, that he deposits within us the spirit who lives within us and he daily works in us that we might conform to his image. So although we may fall and although we have fallen in the past, we have hope that we can grow up to become this blessed man by the work of the spirit within us. So it is not only that we are clothed with his righteousness, but it's that also his spirit works within us to bring out his righteousness so that we too can begin to bear the fruit that this blessed man bears, so that we too, through the spirit and the living waters that he supplies to us, can begin to be this blessed man that whose leaves never wither and who is fruitful in all that he does, so that we too can begin to prosper in all that we do because of the work of the spirit within us. But it doesn't even end there. And on top of that, there's a third and final blessing, which he gives unto us and he tells us that in the end, there will be new bodies, a new heaven, and a new earth where we will be given completely the ability by his spirit to be this blessed man. 
We will walk in a sinless perfection that he only will work within us. And in that new heaven and new earth, the writer of Revelations puts it this way, that there will be no need for a temple. Why? Because the Lord will tabernacle among us. We will experience the true blessedness of life. We will experience the true blessedness of knowing the Lord because the Lord will tabernacle among us. So we have this hope that we are blessed through Christ, that through Christ we are being transformed into the blessed man, and that in the future we will be the blessed man by and completely all the work of Christ, who is the true blessed man, through whom we ourselves are blessed. Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus who has attained every spiritual blessing on our behalf and through whom we ourselves can be considered blessed men, through whom we can stand before you today crying out, Abba, Father, before you because of his work. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this. And we do pray, Lord God, that even as we go out in this week, that you would help us to hope and to trust in you in all that we do. And that through your spirit that works within us, that you will add grace to all of our strivings so that we might truly walk in accordance with this blessed man. And where we fail, give us the hope and the understanding that we can come before your throne to seek the mercy and the grace that we need in every circumstance and in every, circumstance, in every situation. We thank you for the great blessings upon which you have showered us. And we pray that the hope of the future blessedness of the Lord God tabernacling amongst us will give us the hope that we need to go in this life, Lord Father, and walk in the way that you have called us to walk. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to close our...